Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia Frico. I'm sitting here with Ben Hunter. Hi. And we are here today with the author of The Shelley Bay Ladies Swimming Club, Sophie Green. Welcome. Swimming Circle. Swimming Circle. Oh. <laughs> it's quite okay. They both because start with C. Yeah, and it's um, the obviously the follow-up to the Farewell Ladies Book Club. That's right. So yeah. It's tricky. Keeping it in the family. <laughs> I'm just going to die in the corner right now. No, <laughs> no. I, I've already made that mistake several times myself. It's quite okay. I, I've been known to call it the, the Jelly Bay Lady Swimming Club myself. It's so, <laughs> <that's> right. <laughs> um, Farewell was a huge breakout success. Um, story of an unlikely collection of women who come together on um, a cattle station in the remote Northern Territory. Um, and they have a book club, which is a, um, a place of refuge and strength for these women. Um, and now the Shelley Bay Lady Swimming Circle is about another group of women coming mm-hmm. together, but on the whole other side of the country in a different environmental and social landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, what inspired you for this one? Well, I think Fairvale was was definitely inspired by the territory landscape and and being in the area around Catherine in particular and travelling between Catherine and Darwin. And uh, Shelley Bay has been inspired, I guess, more by my lived experience because I've I've grown up in Sydney near the water. I'm so fortunate that I, I did get to grow up near the water and swim from day dot, basically. I learned to swim at a harbour beach, um, which is the beach I still live near, and also to swim at our ocean beaches on a regular basis. And it's so beautiful. I think that's mm. part of it. Our um, Sydney's beaches are so beautiful. The landscape um, never ceases to make me smile. Every time I'm in the water, I think this is just the best thing ever. Um, so uh, I think I like to – I love to write about our natural world. I think that Australians respond to stories about the natural world and I also think it's important to put that in stories, at least for me. Um, and as a writer, it's a good challenge to try to capture that and capture the feeling of being in the natural world. So having written The Territory and uh, and that's a different way of writing about – that. well, that's landscape and this is seascape, I guess. Mm. And so I wanted to – draw on my experiences of years of diving under waves and looking up at cliffs and all that sort of thing and try to put that into a story and also convey the experience of being in the water, which I think is intrinsic to humans. Uh, we all naturally go to water. We came from water. We are, we are made up of water. Uh, so I think all of that uh, we resonate with on a fundamental primal level and, and, again, as a writing challenge, that's really interesting to try to capture. Mm. Um, so we meet uh, Theresa, Marie, Leanne and Elaine mm-hmm. um, Four different women um, uh, And they're all looking to the ocean As a means of replacing or, or filling a hole in their lives um, uh, Can you introduce us to each of them? Sure So the first character we meet is Theresa And she's in her 30s And uh, um, her husband's been watching Delvine Delaney on the Paul Hogan show in Delvine in a bikini and he's been comparing his wife to Delvine unfavorably and so this is so the story's set in the early 80s and so you know Teresa thinks all right well she's she's going to the beach to get fit mm-hmm. and um, so that's that's ostensibly her motivation but really what she's looking for is time to herself she has two small children her nonna's living out the back um, her husband has a business and he's out with his mates a lot and she really just wants a bit of time and um and hopefully to get fit uh so she somewhat reluctantly goes to the beach every morning at sunrise 
where she will eventually encounter Marie, who has been widowed for five years and she's swum all her life. She's lived in Shelley Bay all her life. And she is of the sort, she's the sort of swimmer I've seen a lot over my lifetime who's very sturdy from their regular swimming and very hardy, not afraid of weather or blue bottles or anything. They'll go in under any conditions. Um, But that doesn't mean they're necessarily hardy people or not vulnerable. And Elaine is um, recently transplanted from England. Her Australian husband wanted to move home. Uh, They have two sons in their 20s. The sons wanted to stay in the United Kingdom and Elaine's come out here. Uh, She used to run a business. She used to feel successful and had lots of friends and her family and now she has no one and her husband's working all the time. And she tries to make friends through one sporting activity and that doesn't work. And so she decides, well, she'll just start swimming on her own. And then Leanne is a very different case. She's a young woman in her 20s with a troubled past who's completely disconnected from everyone she's ever known, um, living in a, in a place that's not like where she grew up. And uh, she, however, decides that because she's living in a beach suburb now, she actually didn't learn to swim growing up. As a lot of people don't and, and didn't mm. used to, um, if you didn't live near the beach or have a pool in your life. Um, growing up, you didn't necessarily learn to swim or don't necessarily learn to swim. So she decides she will learn to swim and then she wants to push herself because she's someone who likes to challenge herself. So they come from from different life experiences and uh, are all looking, I guess, for some refuge in the water as, as well as on some level a connection with other people because when it's offered to them, they don't refuse it. Mm. And, um, you know, we got straight away from the references to Paul Hogan and um, <laughs> this this evocation of the 1980s Australiana. And um, uh, Fairvale was uh, mm-hmm. set in the territory post-Cyclone Tracy. This one kicks off in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a kind of time of political and social flux in mm-hmm. Australia. What, what draws you to that time frame? Um, honestly, it was with – I drew it on from Fairvale. So Fairvale, I said in 1978 – uh, absolutely because of The Thornbirds, which was published in 1977. And I mm. wanted The Thornbirds to be the first book that the Fairvale ladies read. And I thought about how long it would take for women in the Northern Territory to get their hands on a copy of The Thornbirds after publication and how long they would then, you know, read need to read it. And so the middle of 1978 was what struck me as the right starting point for that. So that finished that, – that novel finished in the middle of 1981. And I actually just thought – I'll stay in this time period, I'll flow it on. I'm, I'm thinking about these people anyway in this time and so that was the reason. But also um, to indulge in a little bit of nostalgia, um, Teresa, um, uh, part of her motivation is because um, she thinks maybe in her fantasy life Tom Burlinson from The Man from Snowy River will find her attractive. <laughs> and so there was that, so that evoking that that particular point of, of Australian culture as well because that movie of The Man from Snowy River had such a huge impact. Um, and so it was just it's just fun for me really to think to go looking for those things as well and just mm. have little moments that readers might respond to. Yeah, uh, it was fun to read. It must, must have been fun to write. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Look, yes, writing is fun. Rewriting is often not so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> possibly a different conversation. I feel like we have a lot of um, nostalgia for that golden age of Australia in the 80s and what I like so much about what you're doing with this book is you're kind of going back to that nostalgic time and kind of coming through with the reality and mm-hmm. just four, four stories of four women who come together. And I, was that kind of 
what you were trying to do? Or? Oh, yeah. Um, it's Because, yes, it's all, nostalgia is, is nice, but it's always – at the time you're, it's being lived in, it's not mm. not always that nice. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't have good memories about certain things that happened, but I think – yeah, the day-to-day reality for for a lot of women then and now is that yes, in Teresa's case, she's home with these kids, she's looking after her grandmother, she's not had the life she thought she might have, uh, and I think that's a lot. Of, we could say that's true of a lot of people um, in general, where we feel that we're following certain lines of existence that have been laid down for us. Uh, but um, yeah, at that particular time. In history, there was, yes, a lot of flux uh, and not all of it as fast as some people would want. One of the things that um, resonated so well with Fairvale um, is uh, you go into it um, expecting this really delightful thing um, and uh, you encounter a lot of drama. Mm. Um, uh, There's um, tragedy, real family tragedy. There's new life, uh, uh, great sense of loss and but also romance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sparks going to fly in Shelley Bay as well? <laughs> uh, yes, and, and uh, perhaps not not necessarily for a, the characters people think or mm. or don't think or um, – and, and I let the characters tell me, actually. I don't set out to, to write a romantic storyline um, just to put it in there. Uh, it's if it makes sense for the character at the time and sometimes they change and sometimes characters don't have that and then I go to rewrite and – it's there and I think, oh, well, this person does need this. This character's telling me they need it, which always sounds like the most woo-woo, esoteric <laughs> ding, 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 ding process, but, it's, but it is, it, I, to a great extent, I do let them tell me. So, uh, yeah, as it, it's as it turns up. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, your entry into writing is really interesting because uh, you've um, begun as a publisher Yes. Um, and you still are a publisher. I am, yes. um, Can you tell us a bit about that side of Sophie and what she does? Sure. Well, I um, I have worked in the publishing, book selling and publishing industries um, pretty much all my working life. I, mm. While I was at university, I was a bookseller um, for five years because I was at university for five years. Uh, and then I was the children's bookseller in Vancouver, BC in Canada and that taught me a lot about how different children's books are because I'd been in a general bookshop and in general bookshops, I find that, you know, well, in Australia at least, a lot of people don't want help until they want you to intuit that they do want help. <laughs> and then, um, but in a children's bookshop, everyone wants help, whether they're children or teachers or parents or grandparents, everyone comes in looking for help. And so that's really rewarding as a bookseller because you get to hand sell a lot. And so that was great experience um, and also just just seeing what, how, what different stories worked with different sorts of people. And then I... I came back from Canada um, and I, have, I do tell this story um, but it's a story about how your path can diverge. So I did a law degree and I applied for a legal job at a publishing company and uh, I had an hour-long interview and at the end of the interview, the person interviewing me said, um, well, I'm a Gemini and I can't work with an Aries. My oh, mother is an great. Aries and we don't get along. <laughs> and I thought, well, you've had me here for an hour. <laughs> done with that. And, I was, I was brought back for another hour and they gave the job to a Pisces. But I was offered an editorial job and, uh, and that set my path. And actually, In the same building? 
Yes. Oh, and fantastic. I was <laughs> And I was actually more suited to editorial because um, the, the, the legal job was in contracts and contracts had not been my favourite subject. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, so that's really set the path. And so I've gone through editorial. I worked in online for a while at Seven Network. Um, somewhere else, uh, a couple of other places. So I got to understand how content works in an online environment, which was it's, I still bear in mind for a lot of different facets of my writing. Um, is the Seven Network thing, is that the home and away yes. period of your life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to sort of skim over? No, no, I lo- no, no, I never. I, I'm a home and away fan. I still watch home and away. So I, I was the home and away website producer for a year and a bit and, uh, and I loved it. Um, and... Uh, and then, so what do you do on the website? Like put up the I teaser was, trailers. I did and chats with the um, did chats with the stars. And oh, then like Q and A's and things. Yep. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, <laughs> and it was the early days of the internet, really. So yeah. um, I had a bit of freedom to do things. So what was really big at that time was e cards. So I, I wanted to increase our traffic. So I went to publicity and said, "Can I have all the promo shots you can give me?" And we had e cards made, and they worked a treat. Uh, and then yes, I put up storylines every week. Uh, every weekend, I would watch the following, the coming week's episodes, to check that the outlines I had were going to match what we were putting up every day. Uh, also, did uh, quite a bit with All Saints and Blue Healers, and uh, and I and I actually think a lot of that helped shape me as a as a novelist because um, being around those. I think they are great Australian stories. Uh, I've been re-watching All Saints because uh, it's now on streaming and and I'm remembering exactly why I loved it so much because I've mm. watched every single episode. Um, for all the years it was on, it's really great storytelling uh, and the writing is fantastic. And a lot of people, when I've talked about loving Home and Away still, because I ended up not that long ago writing two Home and Away tie-in novels, um, yeah, they have criticisms, but it's it's a story that's been going for three decades, and that's amazing. Yeah, and it's a story that will incorporate a lot of themes that are important to a variety of people, and they'll tackle a lot of issues. In the past couple of years, they've had someone with a meth addiction. They've had someone who wants to use uh, medicinal cannabis to treat epilepsy. There are all sorts of things that are current and brought into that show that the viewers may not have another avenue to see or read about in storytelling. So I, I really, yeah, that's, that's been really instructive for me as a writer. Um, so, yeah, I was in online, went back into books eventually um, as an editor and have been working and then was an, a literary agent and now I've been working as a publisher for five years of non-fiction, which I love. Non-fiction's a really creative as a publisher uh, mm. and I work, work with a variety of authors and subjects and so it's really interesting um but the i should also say the other thing i do that that has a bearing on my book writing is as a hobby i write about um, country music especially australian yeah. country music yeah this is, <laughs> this is the other thing <laughs> so and that's that's taught me a huge amount about um about the import about writing for an audience in a way but also because i've been to tamworth so many times i've lost count um the country music festival mm-hmm. to see tens of thousands of people turning up for Australian stories, and I am very fond of saying that Tamworth is our biggest storytelling festival. It's our biggest event in Australia. I'm yeah, it's sure. our biggest, and it's it is Australian artists are the priority there. So mm. we have so many big That's music awesome. festivals where overseas artists are headliners in Tamworth. If you're an overseas artist, you're probably playing playing on the street. I still remember the year. 
they got Kenny Rogers in and they put him on the second Sunday night, which is when everyone's going home. <laughs> so <laughs> even if you're Kenny Rogers, dang, <laughs> like you're, you're at the end of the festival. Wow. So, uh, and the standard in Australian country music um, is so high and I, I bang on about this to anyone who will listen, but the, uh, the artists we have are such incredible writers and performers and they all see each other at Tamworth. And they know yes. how good they all are. And so that level lifts. And so what I see every single year, in fact, every single week that I'm getting music sent to me is incredibly good music. And um, artists who are prepared to be really vulnerable and uh, and whose standard of lyric writing is very high, they, they are very adept storytellers and they do it in three verses and, and a chorus and a bridge. And, um, you know, they just... It's phenomenal. And so that's also had its influence on me writing books because I think, well, that's that's a standard I'm looking at as well. And my audience is not sitting in front of me in a, in a theatre or whatever, but uh, the same way that they're getting responses from their audience. But still, it's important to me. This, mm, this is obviously a huge passion for you. Is it a part of your life that you weave into fiction and all and any stage. Yeah, are we going to see the Tamworth? Are we going to go to Tamworth? I've tried. I've, I've actually, I've started a couple of novels, um, uh, but it's hard. It's hard to just, it's hard to decide which avenue to go down. There are many different strands to country music. And so it's like, what sort of country, what, what aspect of the industry do I write about? Mm. What sort of artists do I incorporate? And maybe it is too close to me for me to write about. Um, yeah, maybe it is. So, uh, and I don't, I don't certainly wouldn't want any of the artists I've interviewed or reviewed to think I'm writing about them <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I wouldn't be. But um, I would love to I see, about, that. see a, a novel actually, about talent. Yeah. <laughs> well, I may accept that challenge, Olivia. <laughs> we'll <Good>. see. <clears throat> Are you um, hoping to stretch to stay on as a book a year author now? Oh, well, I'm a book every two years. A book um, every two years. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's uh, – yes, yeah, so I would hope to keep that pace if um, I'm lucky enough to continue. And a book a year is uh, easier when you don't have so many points of view. So I, because I had five points of view in Fairvale and four in Shelley Bay, that's – it's you need it's a time. a lot of development. Yeah, you need time to get to know those characters and you need time to redraft to get to know those characters because it's in the redrafting that – they really emerge. And so to do that in a year, I think they need to marinate for slightly longer. Especially when you're working Such and publishing at the same time. Perspective. Um, you've been really generous and this has been brilliant. Um, can we engage you in some quick fire questions to wrap us? Sure. Up? Okay, here goes. Um, the last book you read and adored, what was it? Uh, Daisy Jones on the Six. <gasps> <Love that book. laughs> um, where do you write and at what time of day? Okay, so I write on public transport usually, um, on to and from work. So um, I'm lucky I can get a ferry to work. Mm. So that gives me 20 minutes uh, solid writing times because so, you know, get on the ferry and the, the ferry rides 20 minutes. So by the time it starts, I'm settled in. Uh, and so when I'm writing a first draft, that's what I'll do. When I'm rewriting, it will be all times of day and night and on the weekends because I can't rewrite. We just take way. time off and just no, no, I do it. Away? I'll get up at four o'clock in the morning or oh. I'll do it till late at night or I'll do it on the weekends. It's dedication. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, it's that, uh, it's not, un- I know this is not a quick answer, but it's not unrelated to something I've been doing for a long time, which is practicing and yoga. And I think that training of, of getting on the mat and going, I'm here now to do this helps me drop into that time to rewrite. I just say, okay, yeah, right. now. 
Um, uh, uh, do you have neat tricks or um, word quotas, things that you use to keep uh, keep yourself going when you're writing? Uh, no, I'm lucky because I am what's called upholder tendency in Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies Framework, and she has a book out about the four tendencies. <laughs> uh, upholders are the people whose motto is just do it. So that's it. I Great. It. Um, what's the first thing you do after you've um, finished and handed in a manuscript? Uh, I'd probably go back to whatever other manuscript I'm already working on because <laughs> there's always something floating. <laughs> so, and I'm also always writing about country music through each manuscript. So I just keep writing about that. Um, and uh, do you have a trusted person that you have as the first reader for your work? No, I don't actually. I, um, yeah, maybe I should. But uh, look, I, I have a, I, I think my publisher is the first person who reads it. So that's the trusted person. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a favourite children's book? Um, I really love The Rainbow Serpent and The Devil Dingo Dog by Dick Ruffsey, so picture book-wise, but mm. my favourite young, uh, favorite, like, younger reader's book would be Playing Betty Bow by Ruth Park. Nice. Um, do you have a preferred snack or beverage that you used whilst writing and reading? No, actually, I don't. <laughs> I am, because it's usually on the ferry. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> too much to balance a beverage, yeah, much, but I've been known if I get up very early, I will make a cup of tea. Um, and what's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about your writing? Um, One thing that sticks with you. Oh, look, I've, people have sent me such lovely messages um, on uh, Facebook and and tweets and things like that. I think just anyone who gives the time to a novel who says that they've spent time with that novel and, you know, they've read it and, and, and pass on a comment to me, that's amazing. And um, uh, do you have a advice that you give to other authors or have you ever received advice that's stuck with you? That I think one of the, the best pieces of advice I remember just hearing once was that every sentence has to advance the story. And so I really keep that discipline in mind when I'm writing uh, because I also think that's related to your reader is it's about not wasting the reader's time uh, so if every sentence advances the story then the reader knows that that they can trust you to to keep it moving along um, the advice i tend to give writers is get out of your own way fantastic i love it um thank you so much for giving us some time today pleasure. And, thank you for having and, me um, well we look forward to selling your books <laughs> thank you very much i appreciate it you can pre-order your copy of I'm going to get it right this time. The Shelley Bay Ladies Swimming Circle from your local independent bookstore or from booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.